A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. We've reached late August, what, the, the dog days of the IndyCar season? You know, I don't know what I say. I know, you know, some people clamor for the racing to go into deeper into September and October. I am not one of those people. It is nearing football time, college football, NFL. I'm ready for football, and I'm also ready for the us to crown a champion in IndyCar. I think it's perfect timing the way it is, September 11th, done with the season, and get out the way. I mean, personally, I'd love if they had a an early October race, you know, whether it's a night race or a Pacific Coast time zone race to wrap it up, but I fully understand their thinking on wrapping it up before the NFL is completely in full swing, you know, having that last any car race at least with a pacific time slot and the colts will probably be wrapping up by the time the the race goes green so i mean that that is the best case scenario yeah i I think you know february to september i think it's a good schedule start and end date you just kind of wish they had maybe three or four more races in there to come on this week's episode obviously a recap of joseph newgarden's win the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway in Madison, Illinois, outside St. Louis. And congratulations to me. Yeah. Forced to take Joseph Newgarden after we both <laughs> picked Pato Award. All part of my plan. Forced, yeah. <laughs> you were not forced. That was a choice. They well. Succeeded. I would have had Pato Award if you hadn't picked him. So, But he yeah. seemed like a darn good backup option. Yeah, and he had a, a solid run. Uh, over the weekend also we'll have more on um, some deleted tweets oh some silly season stuff in indycar and formula one because it's of course interconnected and i don't know what what else what else oh a, a new hq for an indycar team that looks strikingly similar it, to a formula one team it does it's almost like they stole the blueprints i know it's not exactly alike but you look at it and you go huh that looks like well we'll tell you later yes precisely good tease <laughs> thank you that's that's what they call it in the biz. A in tease. The biz. All right. Well, we'll start with our recap of the Bomberito 500. Joseph Newgarden gets the win. Another short oval. Another win for Joseph Newgarden. His fifth of the season. And Penske. I mean, they dominated qualifying. Scott McLaughlin had a solid run. Was in the lead until the rain delay. Will Power won the pole as he tied Mario Andretti with number 67 on poles one in IndyCar. But Joseph Newgarden. The other Penske driver comes away with the win. The championship chase is very tight, but let's start with Newgarden. This is a guy who I feel like we kind of rode off earlier in the season. Yes, he was winning races, but he wasn't getting good finishing results outside of that, but he's been on a tear. Second in the championship, it's kind of hard to ignore that. It is, and since his 13th at the at the Indianapolis 500, he's finished outside the top 10 just once. And that was the second Iowa race. That he would have won if not for what? A, a failure in the suspension yeah, or something? After winning the day before. So just cementing his place 
in the thick of the championship race. He's going to own the tiebreaker at this point. You know, we said last week, the last episode, that this was going to be a three-horse race after last week. And look, I love Marcus Erickson, Indianapolis 500 winner, but I feel like he has next to no chance to win this championship with the three guys in front of him. It's almost like when you're only five games out of a playoff spot in baseball, but you have to pass six teams. Like It's not the amount of, of, of games you're down. It's who you have to jump to win. And I just don't see Marcus Erickson over the final two races outperforming Will Power and Newgarden and Scott Dixon. So to me, this is a three-horse race for the title. Interesting. I, I'd still say it's four because, what, he's 17 points back, so he's very much in the thick of it. You look at his past performances at these tracks, and obviously part of it is you don't have as much of a sample size for Portland and Laguna Seca. He didn't race Portland in 2019 with uh, what was then uh, Schmidt-Peterson, but he was 11th at Laguna Seca. Then, obviously, 2020, they didn't race at either of the tracks. In 2021... He was seventh at Portland, sixth at Laguna Seca. So a very small sample size, but you know, sixth, seventh, eleventh, that's not going to get it done, right? You have to have top fives. Yeah, when you look at it, his last five races, eighth, sixth, eleventh, fourteenth, seventh. He's not trending in the right direction. The only reason why he's still in the conversation is double points Indianapolis five hundred. And let's be fair. I'm trading a title chance to win the Indianapolis 500. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like Marcus Erickson is not racing at the caliber that he needs to race to have a shot to jump the likes of Power, Newgarden, and Dixon. You know, I'm going to say he still has a chance looking at his road course performances because he's struggling on street courses. 12th at Barber, 4th Indy GP1. Detroit, I guess, is I guess a street course. You know, that's one of those <laughs> either ors. Yeah. Road America, he was second. Mid Ohio, he was sixth. Um, and then eleventh in Indy GP two. I mean, he's he's puts together some decent results on those tracks. I I still think he's in it. I really you do. do. I yeah. I'm counting him out. Prove me wrong, Marcus. I think we both agree that Pelot's out of it. He's just too far back. He needed a race win and needs multiple race wins to even have a chance. I mean, the guy that's finished second three different times this year just hasn't been able to break through. When you when you look at how he was able to close races last year when it counted to win a title, hasn't been able to do that this year. And you have to factor in the situation behind the scenes at Chip Ganassi Racing. I don't care what he says about how it hasn't impacted his racing or hasn't impacted the team whatsoever in terms of performance. I'm here to tell you that it has. All that to say, Joseph Newgarden, <laughs> every time we want to count him out, he steps up and, in this case, gets another win, his fifth of the season. It's crazy that he's won five races, but it's still second in the championship behind a guy who only has one race win. But Will Power, again, only three races outside the top ten. His first top ten finish of the season that was not a top five at Gateway. Yeah. How about that? So my first strikeaway, of course, just Newgarden getting the win and inching closer to that championship lead. What do you have? Well, my uh, quick question, and I don't, I haven't seen this anywhere, and maybe it'll be easy to find. You know, his five wins, the most in a season since who in IndyCar? That is a great question. Why don't you tackle that while I tackle okay. my first point, which is David Malukas. 
And a lot of the discussion on the broadcast was when the rain was going to come and how you race to the rain, which I thought was the wrong message, because I think we could all look at the radar and say, if it did rain, which it eventually did, it wasn't going to be a rain out unless just something crazy happens where a cell just sat on top of the track. It wasn't a huge glob of rain that was coming. It was just developing here in fits and, and starts. And I felt the message from you know, USA, you know, NBC was wrong in that you're not racing to the rain. You're going to set yourself up for after the rain. And I think David Malukas did that, made the right move. His team made the right move. He was competitive even before that, but be able to jump in to second place, made a great move on Scott McLaughlin to get into second. If he had maybe one, definitely two more laps, he was going to get Joseph Newgarden. And at this point, when we look at the performance of David Malukas this season and and maybe a guy that we was kind of like an afterthought when we talked about rookie standings and an impact, he's now just 11 points behind Christian Lungard in the rookie race. And just a couple races ago, we felt that Christian Lungard was pretty safe in that rookie race. Yeah, now Malukas with a second place and you know top 13s in three of his last four races had that 20th at Nashville is is looking pretty solid at this point and and I don't think he's in line to get a promotion or anything in terms of where he could be racing next year. I think he's still with Coin. But man, long term, he's definitely proving that he's a racer that can be a consistent contender in the IndyCar series as he con- continues to develop. To answer your trivia question, Simon Pagano 2016 won five races, including three in a row for Team Penske with his first championship. Won at Long Beach, Barber, and the Indy GP. That was the three in a row. Also won at Mid-Ohio and then Sonoma to wrap up the season. Excellent. I didn't think it would be too far. I just couldn't. It was further back than I would have guessed. I would have guessed Dixon in 2020, but he won four races. And then New Garden won four a couple other times as well. But your point on Malukas, yeah, yeah, this is a guy who we don't know, you know, is he for sure with coin? Is he elsewhere? Like, where do things stand? And we've seen some some different things out there. You know, could he be with the 10 car? You know, is that a possibility? I don't know if that's actually a possibility. I think it's a lot of talk. But an update on what happened over the weekend and as far as, what they're saying via some some interviews and things like that. This from Merrick Speed, I believe, had these little tidbits, yes, on 2023 for David Malukas. Uh, I talked to David this morning. He said it's not official yet but thinks it will be soon. I can't guarantee uh, that's where he's staying, but looks like he'll be back. That was an interview with Kevin Lee on the broadcast and just – to throw this in also on Sato with the same team said he wants to see it through said he has no thoughts of retiring. There have been opportunities presented outside IndyCar, but coin is where he wants to be and plans to be, but he hasn't signed yet. So as far as Malukas and just that whole team, I mean, things are still open, but I would be surprised if they don't bring back that same driver lineup. And then depending on engine leases, right? Linus Lundquist would slot into that third car. If something becomes available. Potentially, but yep, I, I feel like it's a definite positive for Dale Coin Racing and David Lucas. We felt, you know, maybe that those two guys with Sato and Malukas would maybe have more results, at least on Sato's side. But David Malukas is is really, you know, 
coming of age, I guess, throughout the course of the season. We're seeing the growth over the course of the season that maybe we're not seeing out of other rookies, like Kyle Kirkwood at this point. But going back to the question with the most wins in a season, you mentioned 2016 with Simon Pagno. The last driver to have more than five wins in a season, Will Power, in 2011, and he didn't even win the championship. Yeah, Dario Franchitti did. Yes. So, interesting, he won... And Alabama, Brazil, second Texas race, Edmonton, Sonoma, and Baltimore were his four wins that year. But of course, in that final game or final race before, of course, the tragic Vegas race, Kentucky finished 19th. Dario finished second. And Dario lost out to Ed Carpenter. I was there that day in 2011. So you said Power had six wins? He had six wins that year. In 2011, that would or no, that was 2010, the Edmonton race where Elio got into it with yes. the IndyCar security guy. <laughs> Memories, uh, but anyway, uh, your David s- Malukas, yeah. <laughs> uh, he he saved this race. It was entertaining. He did save the race. I mean, let's say Dale Coyne saved the race with the the call to come in right and get the tires. At first, you thought, you know, why pit? You know, at, at the time that they did. Worked out for Penske, but it worked even better for David Malukas. It Oddly, did not did. work for Sada, who led quite a few laps as well. Very true. I mean, you know, you look at who dominated the race and and at least the early going with with Will Power. But you know, we'll talk about the race. That was a, really a tale of two races, right? Before the rain and after the rain. Exciting finish, but a lot left to be desired. At least through the first, oh, I don't know, two hundred ish laps or so. But yes, uh, your second point, Caleb. What do you got? Point number two, looking at this race, you know, uh, Team Penske as a whole, but I want to focus on Scott McLaughlin. He is leaps and bounds, I think, ahead of where anyone thought he would be this year to the point that I think he is on the short list for championship contenders next year. Definitely. I mean, look, he's sixth in points. He's won a couple of races. He's had a good season. But I think we quickly forget, and, and I forget what Ryder pointed this out, but we forget how dominant he was before he came to IndyCar and supercars. I mean, this is a guy who dominated. He has the Team Penske record for most poles won, which means he's ahead of Elio Castroneves, ahead of Will Power, which it blows my mind that Scott McLaughlin has more poles than Will Power, at least <laughs> as far as for the Penske organization. Yeah. I think we just kind of wrote him off, well, he's adapting to a new car, and outside of that second place at Texas last year in, in one of those doubleheader races in 2021 – it was kind of a, a season to forget, but what he's done since the start of this year, there's a bit of a lull. He still hasn't quite figured out Indy, but that is a, a track that takes a lot of drivers some time to figure it out. I don't think there's any rush there, but this is a guy who I think we just criminally you know, underrated going into the season, and he's turned out to be quite the star, not just on track, but I think off track as well. I feel like we looked at Scott McLaughlin, and yeah, the supercar's dominance was great, but it was still, you know, not open wheel racing. But good racers are good racers. Yes, right? but I think it, you know, after his first season, where we felt okay, he's finding himself. What are we going to see in year two? He answered that really quick with a win at St. Pete right off the bat, and then he's finishing strong. You had that win at Mid Ohio, but his last four races: third, fourth, second, and third heading into the final two races of the season. I'm totally on board with you in terms of a championship contender next year. That's why Penske brought him over to be a race winner and championship contender. And 
look at that. It's turning out. We were very wide-eyed when we said, you know, IndyCar, Yelpensky doesn't bring in too many rookies to the sport that have never driven in IndyCar before, but it's worked out here in year two. You see what Penske saw, and, you know, who who's to say he can't get at least one more win before the end of the season? Yeah, now it will be challenging, you know, coming up on these last couple of races because what he did, he did race at Laguna, but has he raced it? At uh, Portland? I don't think so. Port- Portland happened last year, right? Or no? No. Uh, did it last year? It's yeah. It's so easy to forget. No, it, yeah, it did. Okay, yeah. Because yes, Long it Beach was, was moved. Oh, that's the only Long Beach was moved. Yeah. All right, that's what I'm getting confused. Okay, so he's been to these tracks. He'll have a chance. I. He's a good qualifier. Yeah, he's not willpower qualifier, but yeah. no one else is. Right. I think... With how open uh, Portland is, where, yes, it's a road course, but where you qualify is maybe not as important. Kind of like Nashville, not no, not to the extreme level of Nashville, but there's the opportunity for a lot of mistakes, and you can make up a lot of ground at Portland. Laguna Seca, the opposite. You have to qualify well. Yeah. And, you know, you look at Scott McLaughlin, and, you know, while he has got his two wins on a road course and a street course, he, he, he's been adept on, on ovals. I mean, the 500, uh, 29th, you know, but Texas, runner up, was second, uh, got a second, or no, a top 10, was he third in Iowa? Iowa two? I think it, Saturday was a, was a DNF. So or for finished Iowa, 22nd, he and then was, was on the podium. I think the second, second race. Yes, third, second race. So I think what we're seeing is consistency, right, out of Scott McLaughlin. We're not looking at his performance over the course of the year and saying he's doing really well on road and street courses, but struggling on the ovals. I think we're seeing a diversified driver that has really settled in, settled in. In and you know you already look at him as a seasoned veteran of this series, and he's not even two two years in. Yeah, isn't that the crazy part? I, I mean, mean, this is his second full-time season. It feels like he's racing IndyCar five, six, seven years. Right. I mean, he started the same year as Roman Grosjean, and we're still talking about Grosjean figuring things out. And Scott McLaughlin's winning races and is eight points higher, eight positions higher than Grosjean in the standings. Yeah, whereas Scott McLaughlin has ascended in his second full-time season. It feels like Grosjean has descended uh, at at worst leveled off but his equipment is way better i mean arguably and you we thought he'd pick up a win we also thought scott mclaughlin would pick up a win but i think it's it's more surprising that grosjean has struggled compared to scott mclaughlin's success yeah i mean just one podium for grosjean this year at long beach and you can definitely say that scott mclaughlin has made more friends in his time in indycar (laughs) than roman grosjean no doubt all right (laughs) what is your next takeaway you know let's talk about the event in general and you know i I turn it on you know we're hearing all this pre-race or you know before the event leading up to it that, that that sales are booming for tickets and i tune in and it was not good no. On television. And there are a few things at play. Obviously, anytime rain is a factor, people may stay home. I mean, you started early, which can impact, right? They moved the, the start yes. time up 20, 25 minutes. There were still people filing in, I understand. But you cannot tell me that the crowds at Gateway are going in the wrong direction over the last couple of years. Now, the suites were apparently packed, and I did read... 
they changed the ticketing where children like under 12, I think, were free for like general admission seating areas that they had. And now they had to have a paid ticket. And now, like, I, I thought I saw somebody say, like, in turn one, you used to be able to buy a Gen, Gen A or J, GA ticket for, like, 20 and it's now, like, 80 bucks. Whoa. Something did, like that. Did not know that. But here, you know, there's so many different angles on this, right? And I'm going to take at least the most basic angle is you look at Gateway, and it is now a cup track. It has a cup race, which, I'm sorry, folks, cup takes precedent, Okay. Because that's how Gateway is going to make Buku bucks is with that TV deal and being involved in Cup. Okay, so now IndyCar is secondary at Gateway. They can say all the right things and all that stuff, but the bills are paid. The money is made with Cup being there, and, and that was the sellout. And that, yeah, and and you know, you you can try to say we can sustain both, but I can guarantee you, some people crossed over that are NASCAR fans. That would go just to the to the Gateway race because it's local, the IndyCar race. But now they actually can go to the NASCAR race, can go to the Cup race. And you know, when I went to now, this was uh, what was it? It was like April. I'm across from St. Louis. I I went to the track, and I know the Cup race was for, first on the schedule, but there was not a single banner ad, whatever, forecasting IndyCar. Everything was pointing towards the Cup date at least on the outside marketing of the track. And I'll cut in some slack on that just because the cup race came first. Like, I get it, and it was the first one I, I understand, but I, I feel like Gateway is is now going to be like every other track that has both IndyCar and Cup, and you know the priority is the one that makes the money for the track, and that's Cup. And, you know, you can say all the right things. The Bomberito-Alberto group has, has been tremendous and totally, but... It's not good at Gateway, which just a couple years ago, you said, well, if everybody could be like Gateway, well, Gateway's trending in the wrong direction. And it doesn't help when your racing is mediocre at best, which is what we got through the first two-thirds of that race last weekend. Well, and I think for some of these oval races, obviously the Indy 500 is an event. Iowa was an event this year. But outside of that, Gateway is no longer an event. I would say simply because they they got cup, right, and that took first priority. And to be fair, rightfully so, because they sold it out. Yes, but Texas not an event hasn't been an event in a decade plus. I mean, it's been a long time since it's felt like a big event for IndyCar. I mean, maybe the last time you could argue it was a true event as far as the crowd and promotion and stuff. You can go back to what like two thousand. Seven or eight or nine. I don't know. Yeah, it's there, been a minute. It's It's been a while. It, but it's been a slow bleed at Texas, right? Yes. And we're already starting to see that wound open up and start bleeding at Gateway. We've seen this story before. There are a lot of things at play. Obviously, they made some changes with ticketing, apparently. Yes, you went for the TV window as opposed to a true night race. Now, it turned out to be a true night race because of the, the, the rain delay. The weather is a huge factor that kills your walk-up crowd, and for tracks like that, a, a big percentage would be walk-up just based on weather. Also, we don't know how many tickets they sold because, let's be honest, because of the rain, how many people, and I'm talking thousands, opted not to go because of the rain. It's quite possible. True, but the way that the crowd was laid out, where it was obvious that it was skimpy for the first couple sections of the main grandstand and the last couple sections of the main grandstand, that to me tells me that those... Those tickets weren't sold. If it was, 
if it was general, people all over the track didn't show up, you would still see you know decent amount of people in those seats. It would be more spread out. But to me, it looked you know not good on the grandstand. And it felt to me though, and I don't know if it was just me, I felt like there were more people sitting in one and two. Or was I? Am I wrong? I felt like it was smaller. Some okay. years they've had it open, other years they haven't. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking that it's that it's less less limited. But, you know, when we look at this track and we look at oval racing in general and so many people are clamoring for more ovals and more ovals, you know, the show needs to be good. It's not, it's not good at Texas. It's mediocre at Indy. Uh, luckily, it's Indy or else we'd be complaining a hell of a lot more about the product. You know, Iowa was good this year. And then you have Gateway. The problem with IndyCar is every one of those tracks races different. None of those two, none of the ovals are alike. When we look at Cup, they can design a setup for a mile and a half, and it's going to transform every mile and a half they go to, or the majority of them, right? So if you set a package up for Kansas, then it's going to work at all the other mile and a halves. In theory, yeah. In theory, or at least be within the window, right? Okay, this is our baseline here. We're going a mile and a half. We're going to take it here, okay? You have IndyCar, and you're, you know, Texas race is different than Indy. Indy race is different than Iowa. Iowa race is different at Gate than Gateway. Gateway race is different than Milwaukee. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Does that mean? So, so, you know, you don't race at these places enough. Now, not to mention that Cup races at some ovals twice in a year, right? So, you know, the the... The thing is, is IndyCar needs to address its racing. Everything is pointing so much to 2024 and all that, but you have a, comp- a, a another season next year. Are you just, you know, cashing it in next year? Are you just going through the motions next year? Because I can tell you, if you have another stinker at Gateway, you're going to continue the downward trend. And I don't care what you put on track in 2024, maybe too late to get those fans you know just because iowa worked one year doesn't mean it's going to continue to work if you don't continue to to put together good products texas is dead because the the racing has stunk and as we talked about last podcast if you have a mediocre indy 500 it affects your tv ratings for the rest of the year so you need to fix oval racing indycar and sooner rather than later and you know you can say all the right things but as you pointed out Look, we need the aero screen, but these cars are too damn heavy, and they're not racing well on ovals, and it all goes back to the weight. And, and I don't know what you do, and you know they keep saying 2024, blah, 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 but it's, you're adding more weight in 2024. Didn't they say, though, there's a way to cut like 60 to 70 pounds for next year from the aero screen? But it was going to be a different material, right? Yes. So, yeah, that I mean, helps. That's, that's something. Right. But then you're adding the Kerr system and, and the hybrid system in 24, which then bumps really, it back up. it has more to do with just the wake of the car and making it easier to follow. Yeah. And, and maybe they're going to be addressing that. They've talked about new body kits, but I thought that was for 24. It wasn't for next year, yeah, was it? Yeah, I, I don't believe that's for next year. So, you know, I just don't think enough enough attention is being put on quality racing at ovals because you know what you're not getting milwaukee you're not getting homestead if you cannot produce improve your oval product and you're going to lose gateway if you don't fix it soon and you know you better keep you know hy better keep spending millions of dollars on country acts or you're going to lose iowa right so well uh, that goes back to though gateway used to feel like an event they haven't like adjusted to 
keep drawing but you know people. Be, because you know what the event is now it's cup yeah i mean <laughs> that's the event right and you could argue caleb that the end game for gateway to do all that for indycar for a couple years was to eventually land a cup date yeah i mean isn't and, that the goal with yeah. how it's set up currently the, the goal isn't to host an indycar race the goal is to get a cup date and get tens of millions of dollars before you even sell a single ticket so now that Gateway has used IndyCar in a way to get Cup, it's going to be second fiddle, and it's going to be treated like second fiddle, and it doesn't help when the racing is mediocre, and all those things together lead to shrinking crowds, which what we're seeing at Gateway, which just a couple years ago we were talking about, why can't everybody be Gateway? Market everything like Gateway. Now you're looking at that track going, man, they better figure out something, series, track, whatever, because this is not good. Well, think about it. You're starting the race, what, probably two hours later than you would have in the past. That also has to factor in. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's difficult. It's a, but I feel like the first couple of years, you could have scheduled that race anytime, anywhere over the weekend, and people were going to show out. And it was new. It was exciting. It was a region that didn't have a cup date. This is, the you know, the biggest auto racing event in the region all year long. And now it's not. And I think people are recognizing that. And instead of going to the IndyCar race, they bought a ticket for the cup race. And if they go to both, what's the more entertaining? I mean, for me, it's IndyCar. But for other people, it may not be. Yeah. I, personally, I've been to Gateway. It's the racing. It is tough to pass. And this was pre-Aero screen. But the racing racing is okay. It's a, It was a great event at that time. I went back in 2018. And the proximity to downtown St. Louis, it's great for people who live, obviously, the St. Louis area, but also traveling from Indy as well. It's not that hard of a drive. But having it as a true Saturday night race, I think that will help. Also, I think they have to do more than just what they're doing for, for marketing promotion. What happened at Iowa, I think, is the future of a truly immersive fan event and not just a motorsport event. I would very much agree. But you know what Iowa doesn't have? A cup date. So it is going to put all that effort in to IndyCar. You know? I just, you know, that's the thing. Texas, you know, IndyCar was an afterthought after a while. Right? The only place that it's a priority in terms of ovals is Indy and Iowa. It used to be Gateway, but it's not anymore. And there's no other ovals on on the schedule. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And... I don't see any being added for next year, maybe the year after, but you're you're in danger once again of adding an oval just to see another one fall off. You know, that always seems to be, you know, whack-a-mole, right? You add one, you lose one. You add one, you lose one, and you still sit around four or five for the year. All right, time for my third point. Uh, I I don't want to be... follow up mine? Yeah, you stole (laughs) like two or three of things I, I was thinking. I don't want to be the guy, but I think we have to talk about it. Outside of Devlin DeFrancesco, who had a very solid weekend. He was fast in practice. He qualified ninth, finished 12th. His best IndyCar finish, is it not? I believe so. Yes. Uh, His best finish on the season comes at Gateway. He was fast from the beginning of the weekend. But, man, Andretti Autosport was just a complete non-factor this weekend. I mean, should we be surprised at this point? And I know there's, you know, already, I mean, I'm sure there's been discussion, but as we look towards next year with 
you know, Kirkwood coming on board and, you know, it's still the, the jury's out, but it hasn't been an overly impressive rookie year. He has underperformed. Now, is it him? Is it the team? Is it both? The fact is he's been a magnet for incidents, but he's coming on board. You lose Rossi. It's, it's Right now it's Colton Herta, Kirkwood, DeFrancesco, Grosjean. How much confidence do you have in that group next year, collectively, one through four? I feel good about one, but in a four-car team, there's a lot of questions, and you know, you're know you losing your second-best driver and replacing him with somebody that could develop, but very well may not. I mean, on one hand, I'm sure he's getting a major contract savings as far as money from Rossi to Kirkwood, just because Rossi's proven and going to command a lot more money yeah so you're saving on that but it's i mean herta started 11th finished 11th it's never really a factor rossi was running toward the front but had that uh issue with the the bad pit stop they couldn't get the fuel in and then he finished all the way back in 25th 34 laps down and grosjean who was solid at this event last year remember he started 18th, finished 13th. Yes, he had, what, a nine-place grid penalty? Yeah. And a track that's hard to pass, yeah, that doesn't help you, especially when we only had one driver who was truly out, which is Renus VK, right? Uh, with a mechanical when he hit the wall and then had some issues. But you just, man, you expected more from them? Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to win because Penske dominates all the short ovals and you'd have to throw in Pato Award as being a great oval driver, but it's just I'm surprised how much of a non-factor they were over the weekend. You know, it, it just seems like, once again, it's a track that they seem to be lost at. And, you know, when you look at, you know, Colton Hurtup, you know, starting 11th, down there, never really a factor, right? Um, you know, you got Alexander Rossi running out of gas. I mean, come on. That's just total Andretti, right? Like, how do you run out of gas? And that's not on, on, on Rossi. You know, that's on the team. And the fact that he runs out of gas, they can't get him restarted, you know, falls multiple laps down, ends up finishing 25th. You just, it's Andretti being Andretti, right? I, I just feel like we can't shake that moniker because every three or four races it seems to rear its head and once again we saw it at gateway yeah it disappointing weekend i guess i expected more i'll be very curious how they perform these last two races of the season because they've had success qualifying and r- race wins at these previous couple of tracks andretti autosport right now is not in a position to compete for championships and i know people will say well cold nerd company I am the one, I am of the opinion that until you win something, I'm not putting you in the category to be able to win it. And it's been a while since Andretti Autosport has won a championship. Ten years, right? To be fair, it's been a while since anyone besides Penske and Ganassi. And that's what I'm saying, right? But but if we're going to talk about big three, it's big two. It's big two. And it has say, been that for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, people say, oh, is it the big four now and all that stuff? And we've talked, had that conversation, too. It's the big two when we're talking about championships. If we're talking about what race wins, yes. But I don't put Andretti Autosport in a category as a championship-level team until one of their drivers wins a championship. That's fair. And what else is wild is the quote-unquote big four teams have won all the races this year. 
yeah, all about that, you know, d- d- you know, unpredictability and parity and IndyCar, four teams are winning races. And, you know, and this is an outlier because usually Ed Carpenter Racing was good for a win every so often. And, you know, you looked at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan could pick up a dub somewhere. You know, right now it's just four teams winning all the races, right? Yeah. Meyer Shank sneaking in there. I mean, no. they, not this year. Uh, no. That's what's crazy. And I, I, I do believe it's the tired oh it's the most competitive series in the world and blah 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 it's you know not really you have two teams that compete for the championship and at least for this year you have four teams that win all the races and you know isn't this the thing that people would point to nascar and say well other than hendrick (laughs) and gibbs and you know a couple other teams and that was it right well it's kind of what we have in indycar folks yeah, throwing Stuart Haas. Yeah, it's like you know. Now NASCAR this year has had a lot of other. Yeah, you know, I, I would say diversity in terms of teams winning races. It's more diverse in Cup right now than it is IndyCar, folks. It just is. All right, what's your third point? Well, where do we go here? Let's talk about. Hmm. Where do we go? Let's talk about a carpenter racing. I brought him up. Okay. I don't want to pile on, but here we are. You're looking at Ed Carpenter once again being a non-factor. Connor Daly has had two top 10s all season, 23rd at Gateway. Uh, Hasn't finished above 16th since mid-Ohio. was 13th. And remember, Connor was like, what, 12th, 13th in the championship at one point? Yeah. And he's had a, a tough run of races. So when we look at this right now, uh, you know, wh- wh- where, do, where are we at with Ed Carpenter racing? Well, let's start with Ed Carpenter. You look at his schedule, even going back to 2020, where he finished fifth at Texas, and last year he's fifth in Indy 500. I mean, he's he's been, he's been nowhere outside of Indy since that first race it, it, it the race at Texas to start 2020 and it's i mean he's he's really struggled i mean gateway 20th and 21st in 2020 22nd last year well um, you know j- well, jump jumping this in this year he was let's see 22nd again you jumping in you mentioned the the arrow screen and when you don't have much time in the seat and how drastically different these cars run and race it's going to impact you. And, you know, without proper seat time, you, you're even seeing the guys with seat time struggle. I just uh, you think Ed Carpenter is just, you know, he has no shot, no shot at competition. You know, Renus VK sitting there in 11th, right around where he was last year, right? I think he finished just outside the top 10 last year. But, I mean, when we came into the season, we felt like Renus VK had a shot to take that next step after winning the road course the the grand prix last year at ims and you thought maybe he'd get a win i mean not even a podium yet this year so where are we at with ed carpenter racing is you know what does it need to do to get back to at least competing for a win or two a year because right now it's just not there which is surprising because, again, the cars are always going to be quick at any. I don't think that's going anywhere. and hasn't gone anywhere for a decade right? since the team formed in, in 2012. But what is surprising is that Ed Carpenter struggled running the oval schedule. It, does it help with that car being full-time potentially next year between Ed and perhaps Simona Di Silvestro? 
because remember Di Silvestro will be competing uh, in another race this year before the end of the season. Is it Laguna Seca, right? Yes. So, you know, could that help and have three full-time and then maybe another car at Indy? Maybe. I, I don't know. It, it is puzzling, though, isn't it? Because Carpenter was, was competitive, and, and then it just seems like outside of Indy, yes, there's that fifth at Texas to open 2020, but remember that we can start off as a disaster for the team because VK crashed in practice, in qualifying, and in the race. The trifecta. Yeah, unfortunate trifecta. You know, it's just uh, one of those teams that we look at in the offseason that was one of those squads, you know, uh, that, that was always a threat on ovals, right? You know, May it was always in the conversation. Oh, you know, Ed Carpenter could come in and, and put it on pole and be a contender at Indy. And, you know, without that, it's a big hit. And we, we've seen Renis VK not take the step forward that we thought. And, you know, maybe he's doing the max of what Ed Carpenter Racing can get at this point i i don't know I, I think once again we're looking at connor daly they would have expected more out of him uh it, it's just right now i don't know what's next for this team i i don't know if little tweaks are going to help it I, maybe it just needs a complete overhaul i don't know reynes vk i think we thought would be a fringe championship contender going into the season definitely win a race maybe multiple and here he sits 11th in points and not not even like close to Colton Herta, mind you. He's twenty nine back. I mean, he's trying to fend off Graham Rahal, who's in twelfth, who's only three points back from him. So it's just it's not gone the way that he would have wanted. Obviously, that crash and finishing finishing last in the five hundred. I mean that that was a backbreaker. Yeah, and he did forget a podium at Barber, third, but you know, couple fourths in there. It was sixth at the uh, Brickyard GP, whatever the hell they're calling it, um, but. Overall, a disappointing season. And I know that Renus VK has said all the right things in terms of staying with Ed Carpenter Racing. And, you know, he's committed there. But, you know, Renus, if you get an offer from somebody else within the Big Four, especially the Championship Two, that's what I'm going to do. It's a Big Four of the Championship Two. That's what we're going with. <laughs> I you, like it. Then you got to take it because I don't feel like right now Ed Carpenter Racing definitely not competing for titles. And I feel a long ways off from that Big Four. All right, well, that wraps up our uh, three takeaways each from the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Some other notes on this weekend. We'll get into the TV rating and and rate the race a bit later, but some other notes and takeaways from this weekend that we had. So first off, trivia question for you. Uh I already mentioned Will Power, you know, tied Mario Andretti with IndyCar polls at 67. So that was a given. Uh Uh-huh. That's not a surprise. So, first trivia question for you. Who won the Oval Points Championship? For this year? Yes. Um, well, let's see. I'm going to say Joseph Newgarden. No. Because he has two wins on ovals. No, the Oval Points Champion. I will say Marcus Erickson. No. What? Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> um, one more guess here. I will say Pato Award. Correct. Because he has one, one win, right? He won at Iowa? Yes. Pato Award was the Oval Champ, 226 points. This from uh, Russ Thompson, Calhoun98 on Twitter. Uh, Newgarden, three wins in five races. He only scored the third most with 198 points. The only driver with a top 10 in every race. 
Marcus Erickson second with 224. So Pato Award beat him by just two points to be the Oval Champ. Riveting. If if only the Oval Championship was the championship, because it'd be a lot closer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's already close. Yes. And, and that dovetails into this from Trackside Online. Four drivers within 17 points of the top of the IndyCar Championship table. They pair of races remaining is not unprecedented. Hey, there's that word. Mm-hmm. In 2003, Elio, Dixon, Tony Kanaan, and Gilles DeFerrin were separated by the same number. Dixon finished second in the last two races to secure the title. Very nice. So a couple of uh, trivia questions then for this event as a whole for Gateway. Look, we expected a lot more crashes, right? Well, Noble, I mean, guys shocking. going for it. What was the first first caution was, what, 130 laps in, something like that? Yes. So uh, from IndyCar 1909, first time since 2000. Now, granted, it's not like IndyCar raced there every <laughs> year since then. Uh, IndyCar, Kart, Champ Car, what have you, IRL. Uh, but first time since 2000 that uh, Gateway has gone more than 100 laps without a caution to start the race. Race one in 2020 was a yellow start. Track record for most laps before a caution, 208. Set in that 2000 race, one by. This would have been Kart. Kart 2000? Yeah. <sighs> it's It's not as hard as you think. Think about who was really good in 2000 in Kart. Uh, 2000. In the year 2000. <laughs> um, Scott Dixon. No. Uh, Dario Franchitti. Nope. Good guess. Different team, but uh, the Indy 500 winner, not in IndyCar currently. Juan Pablo Montoya? Yes. I figured that would help you narrow it that down. That helped. <laughs> So those are some. And it's going uh, some, back. God, that's twenty-two years ago. Man. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So those are a couple other uh, tidbits of note. All right, time for a look at the TV ratings. So good news: TV rating was up and up significantly from over the weekend. The TV rating a point three four five hundred fifty three thousand on USA Network, NBCSN. Saturday night race at Gateway in 2021, 434,000. So pretty up, good. Up by over 200,000 viewers. USA has a lot bigger reach than NBCSN. And I think that's played out. However, the other race on USA was Detroit. And didn't that get, get like 354,000 viewers? I mean, it was not good. Yeah. Um, so that's a positive. Yeah, it was. And then NBC Sports PR, they're obviously happy because they put out a, a release. So the. Weather impacted race, total audience delivery of 586,000. So that means they had how many streaming? I'm bad at math. It was 553, right? 553 and then 586. Yeah. So Peacock and their, it's not just Peacock, but yeah, I mean, that's a 33,000 for 586 would be streaming, whether it's Peacock, NBCSports.com. I think they have another app option. That's pretty solid. The total audience, that's up 31% versus last year on NBCSN. Most watched gateway race on record for NBC Sports. And then here's this number. They've been touting it off and on all season. The 2022 IndyCar season, most watched through 14 races since 2008 with a total audience delivery of 1.381 million viewers. It had, wow, and this graphic is so small, 
802 million viewers on ABC, ESPN, and ESPN2. And that would be the 2008 season. And again, I looked this up because I'm a nerd. What was the TV breakdown for that 2008 season? Now, remember, that was the first year since reunification. They had some interesting races. Danica won a race. They raced at Surfers as an exhibition. Uh, Long Beach came back onto the schedule. Obviously, they added Edmonton and a few others. But you look at that schedule. So first year that every race was in high def. Yeah. 2008. The Indy 500 had been on high def before. Seven (laughs) races on ESPN2 and ABC and two on ESPN. And 16 Indy Pro Series races aired on ESPN2 HD. Just wow. for good measure. So, so Indy Lights was on... Yeah, ESPN2 HD. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> like I like you have to add the HD. It was a yes, different time. It was. But so, look, that's ESPN2. Is that consistent with USA Network? Probably. And they got Pretty seven similar. on ESPN2 and seven on ABC and two on ESPN. I mean, that's that's not as good as far as network races go. For the current schedule, but still a better number. And obviously, TV landscape has completely changed sure, yeah. since then. So it's it's apples to oranges, but I just thought it was an interesting comparison. Well, we'll take... I'm just... Uh, I know they're going by average. Uh, I still want to see that percentage point. Oh, that, that just... Um, everything revolves around how percentage growth from last year for me. But this was a step in the right direction, hopefully, for that average, right? Yes. I mean, it's up significantly compared to last year, and Really, the test will be these last two races. Portland should have a shot for a decent rating simply because there's no NFL preseason. There's no college football competing against it. Yes, it's Labor Day weekend, but it's Sunday afternoon. And then, obviously, you're going up against the NFL, but at least it's essentially the late window because the race green flag is like around 3.30 Eastern on – at Sunday, September 11th, for Laguna Seca to wrap it up. So there's a chance, but we'll see. I would expect a big drop-off, though, for Laguna Seca. Portland, though, will have a chance to pull over a million. Unfortunately, Laguna Seca, very much an afterthought for viewers on television and attendees. And with that being your championship race, it's unfortunate. But that's where we're at. That is where we're at. All right. We'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us online, our website, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. Plus, check out the store. We have T-shirts for sale and stickers for sale. You can follow us on social media. Our handle on Twitter is IndyCar Podcast. Also, that on Instagram and on Facebook. Search for us and like New Track Record. You can also be a patron on patreon patreon.com slash new track record four different supporter tiers uh for you thanks to xavier rob and others who are uh patrons and all those uh tiers start at just one dollar a month you can also find us on your favorite podcasting platform whether it is apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts amazon music podbean or wherever you find your podcasts all for free Okay, mailbag time. And, of course, we have uh, plenty to discuss this week. So let's start going back to last week where we had a few things to get to as far as uh, some comments from the listening audience. And we start out, and I scrolled too far back. Okay, we start out 
from from the race. Bra Fog said, Diff said ninja, everyone have a shot. Cheers. <laughs> That's great. He loves talking about those ninja moves, doesn't he? Yes, he definitely does. Um, also, continuing on, uh, he said, I suddenly have the urge to roast marshmallows over Kirk Kirkwood's car. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny stuff. Um, we get to rate the race. How would you rate the race? <sighs> this one's really tough, right? I don't feel like the final 30 laps made up for the previous 200, so I'm going six and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with six. You know what? I'm going to go with six and a half as well because I think anything higher would be unfair because the, the first two-thirds of the race was like a four. The last stage, especially after the rain d- delay, was like what, like a nine? I mean, <laughs> Right. And before it was like a 3.5 maybe. I was, so, I, I was, uh, you know, like I don't, I don't like people crashing, but man, that that race could have used a little bit more yellows. Howard at two one one two, first half five, second half ten. I think that's fair. According to Stitch, overall, I'd give it a six because a two hour delay is hard to sit through, and it wasn't very exciting up to that point. But boy, the end was worth the wait. Yeah, great ending. P Gaynor fourteen, given a nine. Hunters away sixty seven. Pre red flag a five. Is a real yawner. Post red was a nine. Real barn burner. So overall, I give it a seven. I am analog. Solid eight and a half. Pre delay was kind of uneventful. Though the Penske charge was fun to see. It's crazy how those three machines look so fast on short ovals. Amazing run for Malukas. Vicky Lane twenty six. Before the rains came, I'd say a seven. After the restart, nine point five. Really wanted Scotty Mack to win. Malukas was on fire. So impressed with that kid. Uh, N K Harden. Really tough race to rate. First 150 laps were a two. Next 60 laps were a six because he knew rain was coming but had no idea when. The drivers really turned up the aggression too. The post-rain delay was a 10. Overall, I give it a seven and a half. Hashtag gateway is a night race. <laughs> <laughs> Should be. Uh, Bill Hesse, first half six or seven, second half 10. One more lap would have been great. Angie Clayton, first time at the track. I loved it, 10 out of 10. DC Soda, nine had Malukas Pulled it off, it'd be a 12, but that doesn't ruin a heck of a run by him. Jeremy from HBG. That post delay saved the race as a whole. I'd average it out to a nine. So people were well, way average. more people are way more generous <laughs> than us. Uh Zach C eight seven seven one. I was there, so I'll withhold a rating because I was already salty about the delay. I'll say props to Malukas <laughs> for providing some late excitement because New Garden ruins every short oval track. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's pretty good at those. A little pretty, bit pretty good. He's pretty good everywhere. Some more uh, more rate the race replies. Stealth ten fourteen eight very exciting different strategy weather big movers just wish it wasn't a Pinsky show. Yeah, I, I think other teams need to test more on short ovals. I think that's what we've learned. Well, people are like, well, it's just one or two races a year, right? Well, maybe three if you count Iowa, both races. But yeah, it's like, or or maybe God forbid, give these teams more test days. I feel like that would help the overall product, particularly at ovals, because if they're going to have to, what do they get, three? Maybe? Yeah, like three or four. Well, you get one that's like the the rookie test or right. whatever. But like, you know, when you have X amount of street course races and X amount of road course races and only a couple short ovals, what are you going to pick? Yeah. You know, if you gave these guys a couple, and, and that would help the, the the racing too. And something else that I, I we haven't mentioned yet that I appreciated IndyCar adding that extra practice to try to get that second line in but it was almost teams were half-assing it 
running up there. It was almost like they were just using it as a regular practice session and kind of maybe doing a half line. Like it was not a dedicated go around the second line to try to rubber it in. It was very much a, eh. And I think a little bit of that is apprehension about going up there. I understand. But the point was to go up there and run. Oh, David Malukas past McLaughlin on the high side. He went for it. I mean, you had like one and a half fish, and you could make two work in a pinch, but there was not consistent racing up there. More rate the race. Mike Jarrett, 33, nine and a half. First stint was follow the leader, but then over 500 passes. Don't need a wreck to be exciting. I don't think you were calling for a wreck, but... um, Just give me a caution. Big D cart said... Somebody throw a wrapper on the... the, (laughs) I don't care. Point two, only the old farts still like these oval parades TV ratings on the basement. Well, the TV rating was at least good. Yeah, it was. Surprisingly, that worked out quite well. Uh, this one I really like. It's very scientific. Phil underscore Barksdale. First 217 laps were a pretty unexciting oval race, 5.0 out of 10. Final 43 laps had much more action, plus Malukas's charge, 8.5 out of 10. 217 divided by 260 times 5.0 plus... 43 divided by 260 times 8.5, 5.579 out of 10. <laughs> Very scientific. <laughs> I like it. I, I like that. I think that was great. Me and you just picking numbers out of the air, and then we have somebody with formulas over here. Yeah, we didn't even mention David Malukas singing you know, in the car. Right? You spin me right around. He's, he's, uh, he's growing on me. I like David Malukas. He's, he's fun. And I can't believe I didn't. I didn't mention this. I totally forgot about it. The start was awesome simply because Felix Rosenquist passed literally half the field. <laughs> and it was once again like that, that slow creep to the front. And eventually you're just like, I'm not staying in line. I'm going to try to time this. And Felix Rosenquist did it perfectly. All right. Uh, talking about the rookie race and a poll posted. Taking a look at the results. Who wins Rookie of the Year award for IndyCar? 60% said Malukas. 40% said Lungard. I still say it's Lungard. Still the edge with, with Lungard. I would still take him as well. But, man, it's gotten tight, whereas a couple, even a couple races ago, we felt like it was Lungard going away. True. Uh, Vicky Lynn, 26. Malukas is coming on strong. It'll be a tight race for sure. Can hardly wait to see how it plays out. Post Shevchenko. Either way, it will continue a years-long streak of second-place Indy Lights finisher outscoring the first place. This year is Malukas over Kirkwood. Last time it was VK over Askew, then Herta over Award. Last time it didn't happen was Arudia, who should have gotten an indie start. Yeah, Santi Arudia was screwed back in, what was it, 2016 or 17? Yeah. Uh, with, was it Max Chilton? No, 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 Ed Jones winning in a yes. Carlin car, the Lights title. So That's an interesting stat. I like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating as well. So that's some other notes as far as what people had to say. Okay, you, you posted this and stirred the pot. Me? That's what you do. Never. You said you want more drama in IndyCar? Get to a point where teammates don't give a crap about each other like F1. That was Lando's comments on Daniel Ricciardo and his struggles at McLaren. I thought the comments were fair. I didn't think they were that that bad. But it was basically like, it was almost like, how do you feel about Daniel Rick being out of the seat? And it was basically like, I don't care. Like, it's up to him and and that team to get results, not mine. It doesn't affect me. 
Lano said, I'm not a driver coach. I'm not here to help and do those kind of things. I'm here to perform at my absolute best, and that's about it. What's wrong with that? Nothing, other than the fact that, you know, he's not a driver coach where, you know, in IndyCar, you know, what happens at IndyCar qualifying at the 500, right? Somebody goes, and then they're running over to their teammates' cars to talk to them or on the radio is tell them this. Like, there's nothing like that in Formula One. It's not like that at all. You're not helping your teammate at all. It's it's cutthroat. And it's, 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 it's. I don't know if if it was like that in IndyCar. But, uh, knowing me, in a year, I'd be complaining about it. But it does up the tension and dramatics within teams, definitely. Well, some replies on this talking about the connection to IndyCar. Tyler underscore Allen. Well, we kind of have that with Andretti right now, but also look what it's done to overall team performance. Fair. Yes. Jeremy from HBG. No wonder they're trying to get into F1. If you can't fix your problem, go someplace where your problem is just seen as normal. <laughs> Alex Pillow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vicky Lynn 26, no thanks. Think we already have had enough drama for the season and next. LOL. Never enough drama. <laughs> Heil Heil Mike says, uh, no. DC Soda, it appears I do not want more drama in IndyCar. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Poet Shevchenko, with comments like that, Ricardo might just let Simon Pagino sneak into his McLaren. To share the track with Norris and one of the GPs this year? <laughs> I I doubt it. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 says, Karma is a B, Lando. Not not actual the letter B. <laughs> well, so people have some strong comments. Yeah, and, you know, I know there's a lot of, since, you know, this, this news with Daniel Ricciardo out of the McLaren seat came out earlier this week, there's been a lot in the Twitter sphere about does Ricciardo go come to IndyCar and you know all indications are he's going to be Formula One next year with somebody yeah we'll have more on that yeah yeah we'll get into it but not once has Daniel Ricciardo ever said anything about an IndyCar ride I I just don't get the sense that that is on his bucket list and look I, I know the the trend of Formula One rejects and I, I use that term not hately, but basically when you're spit out the bottom of Formula One and you still have some racing in you, you can come over to IndyCar and it's kind of the trendy thing to do. But it doesn't mean every driver is going to do that. And I like Daniel Ricardo. I think he's got a great personality. He's just not interested in IndyCar. That's that's just how it is. And that's fine. I don't I, That's all right. It, I didn't think he was truly in, interested to begin with. No, I just think it's kind of wishful thinking and it maybe has gotten a little bit too much attention on Twitter. It's not happening, folks. He he's not he doesn't care about IndyCar. So that wraps up the mailbag as always. You can send us your tweets, Facebook messages, Instagram DMs, email, snail mail, whatever. And Telegrams. We'll try to get to it on holograms. the following week's yeah, hologram. Uh, following week's episode. Okay. News and notes time. We actually have some good stuff here today. In fact, something that came in that is quite fascinating uh, from a NASCAR side with an Indy five hundred perspective. But uh, we start out, first off, before we go any further, today, as we record, August 25th, hard to believe it marks one year uh, since the passing of Robin Miller. I feel like one thing we're missing in this year's IndyCar series is somebody to write and tell it like it is. And And, and also... Can you imagine Robin covering the Alex Pillow McLaren <laughs> Ganassi story? He is typing furiously somewhere 
uh, up above, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I feel like you and I, whether we're right or wrong, we'll, we'll tell it like it is or how we feel like it is. And I feel like Nathan Brown will do that sometimes, particularly to folks on Twitter. But there's just nobody that fills that void that Robin left that basically had the respect of everybody in the paddock and in IndyCar yet could call any one of them out. Yes. That, that is the thing that's missing. And it's, you know, it, it's hard to believe that it's been an entire year, right? Yeah. But also like it, it is missed because it feels like we're missing out on some of the stuff that, that Robin, you know, he found a way to get past, you know, people would be furious at him somehow they'd always find a way to mend fences, right? And we're just kind of missing that coverage. We're missing, you know, his mailbag and the the juicy rumors that he would let out. We're we're missing <laughs> missing the sweatpants and sweatshirts. Yes. Right. Yeah, we're we're missing his time with NBC and the grid runs and just popping the- in on broadcast with some some silly season news as he w- was wont to do. I feel like he was able to do and say and write what he did because he commanded the respect of the paddock and he's been around for decades. He's an institution and you can't just be someone that comes in, blasts everybody without building relationships. And, you know, I'm sure plenty of drivers and teams thought he was completely wrong on things he wrote and said, but they respected the guy. They knew it came from a spot of love for the sport. And, um, you know, he'd, he'd been around longer than most of them. So definitely a loss in the IndyCar community, one that will never really be replaced. But, yeah, I can bet that he's been in somewhere he's been enjoying this season and, and, and having some select thoughts on certain situations that we've all kind of looked at and, and broken down. But we just don't have that Robin twist on it all. No, and it's it's definitely – dearly dearly missed uh, in the IndyCar paddock and with fans and just all the coverage of the sport it's just not quite the same and never will be not at all all right now we move to news and notes and i think the first big thing to get to andretti autosport announcing andretti hq for andretti global huh interesting hmm. 200 million dollar 575,000 square foot home It'll be for all their teams. So Andretti Global, which is the parent company of Andretti Autosport, this will be in the Fishers area, 90 acres near the Nickel Plate Trail, Ritchie Woods Nature Preserve in Indianapolis Metropolitan Airport. So that's near kind of around 96th and 106th and 69 in the Indianapolis Metropolitan area. And Nathan Brown, he pointed this out in his article on IndyStar.com. Uh, Ray Hall team, Aaron McLaren SP, they have – started or commissioned brand new racing headquarters roughly a hundred thousand square feet each so this is five more than five times that Woo. um ray hall's estimated cost 20 million andretti cost 10 times that at 200 million there's a, a lot of details tax credits grants all of that stuff is part of the deal but this is a a full deal so it's not just the indycar team and indy lights and imsa it'll have Andretti Global's headquarters, their R&D branch, Andretti Technologies, Indoor Amphitheater, Museum, and Innovation Center as well. 
don't forget, don't they have Extreme E as well? I think so. So they uh, have all the things. Yes, as people say. And I believe they also do Super Copa. I think it's called, which is the race series in Mexico. Yeah. Though they have that partnership with with is it Dominguez or Fernandez? Yeah, Yeah, Adrian Fernandez. So. A lot of stuff. A lot this of things. Very fascinating. It Plenty just, of room for Formula One in there. Yeah, yeah right? Right? Plenty of room for Formula <laughs> One with that space. And speaking of Formula One, very similar design as far as the renderings to the McLaren facility, at least with the pond and kind of the oval-shaped uh, part jutting out yeah. for Andretti HQ. So, If they do like the circular design inside with their cars every year, then it is a direct <laughs> Uh, stolen idea from McLaren. But, you know, this is great news. But, it, it, but as you mentioned, it's just the latest IndyCar team moving to the Burbs, right? I mean, yeah. d- is do you feel as if, because, you know, several years ago, you know, you looked at the town of Speedway and you had Delara, you have Delara down there. You had Sarah Fisher Harbin Racing down there. You have Hunkos down there right now, right? Yeah, Hunkos and Speedway. The Ed Carpenter, Sarah Fisher, that is actually, I think, oh, what is the name of the convention every year, the motorsports convention? They, they have that space now, actually. Okay. I just, I, 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 look, they need the space, obviously, but I wouldn't mind like a smaller shop in Speedway or something, because I really felt like, you know, when, it's, it's Speedway is still a bustling little, little community, but... Man, if you could line up, you know, the majority of the teams to have a presence down on Main Street, I thought it'd be really cool. And for a while, it seemed like it was trending in that direction. But now we're seeing, you know, moves to Zionsville and builds elsewhere. And it's just kind of taken away from me a little bit of the ambiance around Speedway, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I fully get that. Hunkos is there. Foyt was leasing space in one of the buildings, you know, where they have the Foyt Wine Vault. I think one of their shops is there, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, there's room to grow, and I would, you would think it'd be cheaper, right? As far as, yeah. but with this, you get a blank slate to create your own space with the land, which I would think the land would actually cost quite a bit. But again, blank slate. Sure. No, I, I get why. And with the infrastructure they're putting in through it, 100,000 square foot, you know, what Ray Hollerman Lanigan's doing, you need the space that Speedway doesn't necessarily have. But I'd love to see some sort of, you know, presence on Main Street and Speedway for most teams, even if it's just a small walk in shop or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean,. If you have a side business like the like the Foyt Winery where you walk in and and see the car sitting there, so I'd like to see investments in Speedway as well. They don't have to be extravagant, but just a presence. Let's start a new segment called "This Week in McLaren" <laughs> with a nice little jingle and Zach Brown introducing himself. But what so, do we got this week in McLaren? Obviously, Daniel Ricardo out. At McLaren F1 for 2023, we have these. This is the confirmed stuff. We'll get to rumors here shortly. Zach Brown revealed that McLaren and Daniel Ricardo discussed moving over to the IndyCar team before his exit was finally agreed. That, according to MotorsportMagazine.com, again, not a surprise. Of course, that that would be on the table. Then Nathan Brown pointing this out. The McLaren F1 Twitter account deleted its tweet from July 12th which we all know what happened that day. That's when Alex Blow 
was uh, announced with the deal with McLaren. Not sure why it was done, he mentions, and goes on to say, uh, with that, the press release announcing the news still exists online. But it, it is puzzling that that has happened. Is it? Are we looking too far into it? Too much into it? I mean, somebody probably deleted it because of the hubbub and all that stuff, but it's elsewhere and all that. It just seems like, I don't know. I mean, we already, it's not like we can un, like, we know the tweet. Right. We know what it's announcing. But, you know, maybe there was a misprint or somebody said, you know, I don't like the way you worded it, just delete it or something. After, I, I don't know. And it doesn't have any impact on the lawsuit because then it was, it was up for so long. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like it could be something simple that we're making into a big deal. But, you know, when it's McLaren... Who the hell knows? Also, the Neom, N-E-O-M, McLaren Formula E team announced that Renee Rast will join the team for the ninth season. So one seat set. The second seat, which could be Felix Rosenquist, still remains open. Musical chairs continues. Who's going to be where when the music stops? Yes. And then we get to the rumor side from IndyCar Deep Throat. Some really good stuff. As far as contracts and and what could come of it. Okay. Pato Rossi Pillow set for McLaren next year. That's for IndyCar. Felix headed to Formula E as of now, but Zach told him that if another IndyCar team is interested in him, they could work out a deal, i.e. keeping him under McLaren contract while he does his own thing. Piastri set to join Lando at McLaren F1 in 2023. Zach mentioned he would be open to keeping him around for other McLaren seats or races. And then Daniel Ricardo set for Alpine on a one-year deal. The team is offered for him. He has no choice or other options. One-year deal with less money compared to his last deals. He'll have an option for 2024 if he performs well next year. As of now, Daniel hasn't made a decision yet since Williams and Haas are on that list. Why does this matter? Well, it's confirmed that both Chip and Roger reached out to Daniel to gauge his interest in IndyCar after he turned down Zach's offer two weeks ago. I think he's at Alpine. I would agree. If he's not at Alpine, he's probably at Haas, maybe. I mean, Alpine's got to be the most competitive, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, why would you go with the other option? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going with Haas second, Williams third. But, yeah, I just feel like he's a guy that wants to stay in, in, in Formula One. I mean, if you watch enough Drive to Survive and see enough of Daniel Ricardo. He's a guy that loves the racing, but really loves the behind the scenes, the, the pageantry, the drama, the excitement, the spotlight, everything that is Formula One. Daniel Ricardo eats it up. And I don't think he's going to leave it unless he is completely out of options in the sport. I would fully agree with that. Also this from IndyCar Deep Throat. Andretti might push to get Toyota to come to IndyCar with Michael's Andretti Autosport announcement, uh, talking about the HQ. Um, Only way Michael gets Andretti to F1 is with an OEM. If he can somehow persuade Toyota to agree with the team and become their main engine supplier, he could, uh, uh, I think it's a typo, but essentially get them into an F1 bid with the FIA. Interesting take. That was from from someone else. He would get him in IndyCar first? Yes. In Formula One? Yes. Until it has been in Formula One, it's been some time, and I do not believe it was successful back when they were in Formula One, back in the, what, the mid-2000s, roughly? Yeah, I just, if Toyota's hesitant to invest in 
IndyCar, which all indications are they are still hesitant. That's why a deal hasn't been announced. What makes people think that they would be willing to invest tenfold, at least, in Formula One? It's it's a great question. Especially when... You, you have to start somewhere. I know, but... Uh, but that's like a long term. Like I don't see them jumping in IndyCar for one or two years, then adding Formula One. I would think that'd be a long game. And you know, Toyota especially is very much. And, I, and you know, I, I can guarantee you this is one of the reasons for the hang up with with Toyota and IndyCar is Toyota is very hell bent on alternative energy cars going into the future, and IndyCar has to have enough technology that Toyota warrants is the future on the road for it to invest in IndyCar. Uh, and I think the same would be for Formula One. Well, IndyCar is fully renewable fuel starting next year. That's a really good start. Yeah. And hybrids, obviously, the year after. And I think Formula One, their end goal is what? Zero carbon emissions? Yes. And carbon-free fuel or whatever, that, like all that stuff. So they're they're And they've been hybrids since 2014. Yeah, they they're way ahead of IndyCar and the, their technology, <laughs> so definitely. But I could see it being a possibility. I just don't see it as being like a short two or three year thing. And we know that Michael Andretti wants to get to Formula One sooner rather than later. Let's also not forget that Toyota Japan would handle the F one side, whereas TRD Toyota Racing Development would handle the IndyCar side. Right. Correct. So a couple of things as far as some some rumors to get to. Interesting stuff. What do we got? All right. Uh, well, that was that. So other announcements and things of note. Congrats to Tatiana Calderon. She returns to F2. Saw that. Congratulations. Teammates with Enzo Fittipaldi. I'm not sure how to say the name of the team. Sharu's system. Uh, Enzo's done quite well. The other seat is not done well. But we'll see how she performs starting this weekend at Spa. Flynn Lazier will make his Indy Lights debut with Able Motorsports at Portland. So we've heard this name in the past, and he's resurfaced again. So this is pretty exciting. Hopefully he's able to make an impact in Indy Lights. Probably not this year, you know, getting into a late-season seat. But maybe he can land a full-time seat for next year and turn some heads. Yeah, Able Motorsports, again, their driver switched, right, to... Everybody went HMD. to HMD. They have like half like. the field. Literally. Yeah, they do. No, it's true. And I think, once again, the problem when you look at HMD and Andretti at this point is they have over two-thirds, maybe even three-fourths of the field. What is it, like 10 cars of the 10 13, of the 12, maybe? 14-car I mean, field? You know, and I know we're, we're looking at uh, having Rob Howden on, on the show, yes. on the podcast here in the next couple weeks. It'll be on next week. Okay, maybe he can give us some insight because I think we felt really good at the beginning of the year with Indy Lights, but the Indy Lights race at Gateway at what, 12? Did they race at Gateway? Yeah, Brabham won. Did he the really? pass on Linus Lundquist. Okay, I think what, 12, 11, 12, maybe 13? And 10 of those cars being HMD or Andretti? So I'm looking to see, because I'll be honest, I, I don't know the Indy Lights box scores off the top of my head. But we go to the wow. Gateway Race, and yeah, you had 12 cars. And how many of those does it list the teams? <laughs> um, or am I asking too much? Andretti would be one, two, three, four cars. HMD would be... One, uh, two, 
three, four, five. Is that right? Is that five? I'm yeah. To, is it five? I'm trying to bring up the PDF, but it's not loading for me. So conservatively, nine of the 12 yes. cars that started at Gateway were two teams. Yeah, that's not ideal. You want more team owners. Especially when we talked about at the beginning of the year, new teams entering the sport. Like, did they just go defunct midway through the season? I, I mean, we'll have to find out from, from Rob Howden. He's the master of optimism, Rob. Gotta love him. But we got to make sense of this because, you know, we're, we're getting to the finish line of the road to Indy season, and I just see more of the same in Indy Lights. 12, te- 12 drivers, you know, it shows, I guess, a little growth, but still only two dominant teams. It's three-fourths of the field at Gateway. Yeah, it's, it's not ideal. No. So Flynn Lazier will be part of it. All right, Justin, this came in while we've been recording. Uh-oh. We saved the best for last. Adam Stern uh, says, Justin Marks, so this is Trackhouse, right, and Cup. Yeah. Says that entering the Indy 500 at some point is 100% a goal of Trackhouse per Jack on Sports. So it would have been Jack Aroot, I think, with his one of his shows. Yeah. Uh, 10 years from now or 15 years from now, I want to be able to look at people and say, remember when we were just a NASCAR Cup Series team? Nice. So keep this in mind. And this is not like something I feel like he's teased this before that they'd be interested in, in the 500. Yeah, he has. But man, I love what they're doing in terms of how they're they're rolling with this stuff. You know, like opening the, you know, Kimi Raikkonen raced at Watkins Glen. And there was another tweet from Adam Stern this week that he said upwards of 20 drivers from different disciplines, whether it be sports cars, Formula One, IndyCar, had reached out to Trackhouse Racing to try to land a one-off like Kimi Raikkonen did at Watkins Glen. So I think this is just going to continue to grow. It's something different, right? This guy, Justin Marks, saying all the right things in terms of what he wants to get involved in. Pitbull is is part of the ownership group with Trackhouse, and... I would love to see new blood in the series, and I'm perfectly content with it coming from Cup over to IndyCar. And uh, I, I think it'd be phenomenal because how he's thinking outside the box with things, and you know, Daniel Suarez signing him to a full season before the 2021 season was caught a lot of people by surprise. He wins at Sonoma this year, which was huge. And I just feel like he's a breath of fresh air to the good old boys mentality that is cup it's it's gotten a lot better but i think that justin marks has taken it to another level yes and you know just bringing in raikkonen i mean who would have guessed that even last year that kimmy raikkonen would want would not win sorry would run a nascar cup race i mean no one i mean if you would have told me last year that daniel kriot and Kimi Raikkonen were going to race in the same cup race in 2022, I would have said you were insane. <laughs> yeah. You were absolutely insane. Yeah, that what we had at the Glen. Now, they finished 37th and 38th, I think. Now, Raikkonen, Raikkonen got wrecked, basically. Got wrecked. He was having a great race up until that point. Yeah, I actually bet some money on him finishing in the top 10. He had a shot before he got taken out. But, no, it's, it's really cool. Would love to see Justin Marks and that team venture into IndyCar at some point. I could see it being a one-off at the 500 for several years and then maybe turn into something bigger as this team grows. Could they even partner with an, an existing team? Maybe a favor with uh, Chip Ganassi? 
perhaps uh, they're a Chevy team in Cup. That's true. That that does play into it. But so, then again, we've seen that they've been able to work around stuff like that in the past. Very true. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chevy would want to be a part of what that team is doing in different disciplines as well. For sure. And then also this from Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. This just came in. IndyCar getting a drive to survive like unscripted docuseries is an important part of our roadmap. We've had a lot of dialogue in that space. There's probably more news to come on that one. Perpinski Corp. Executive Vice President Jonathan Gibson. Feels like a third OEM update to me. Right. We're efforting is basically what I'm hearing. We're efforting, but nobody's interested. Okay. Anything else that you feel like we missed? I don't think so. I think it was a very comprehensive show led by you, Mr. Hatch. (laughs) Kudos as always. Uh, I'm flattered. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Tweets of the week. Moving on. This uh, We have one tweet, but I think it's quite good. Dalton Kellett, again, second week in a row on Tweets of the Week. He, he's on a roll. He's doing well. That rain delay was Mother Nature telling that she prefers night races. Hashtag make night races great again. <laughs> well said. Well, it's all about the, uh, you know, the TV number was good. And is the TV number as good if it started later in the evening? I'm not sure. But I would have given... I would have loved to see ten taken away ten thousand of those viewers on television and put them in the seats at Gateway. Also, for clarification, when there's a rain delay, they took the before the delay part uh-huh. as part of the rating, and then the after when they went back and they average it and they average it. It is my understanding. So you I have to imagine. remember with Xfinity is the lead in that really helped the before. Yes, at I least would, as far as right away. But then <laughs> the racing the I two would say hour was break suboptimal for the first part. But then to have a rating that high, I think that's very very good. Well, and and my dad was vocal too, and he was like during the rain delay is like is is am I going to have to go channel chasing again? Are they going to move it to a different network? Which of course what they did off NBC a couple weeks ago was it with Nashville? Yeah, Nashville with, what, CNBC? Yeah, or whatever. So, you know, he's frustrated with the channel chasing. Don't get that on stream. Obviously, don't have to worry about that, folks. It's only $5 a month. Shameless plug. Peacock, if you want to sponsor. Yeah, streaming outpaced uh, cable and broadcast. Was it last month for, like, the first time or something? Yeah, something like that. Interesting. So... It's good that, you know, on USA, you know, all you're doing is missing SVU on the back end, basically. And those aren't new episodes. So you can go as long as you want. But it was nice that it didn't have to skip around. But that's kind of a little bit more encouraging because you have to think the before number was, you know, maybe in the 600,000s, maybe in the 700, because only the diehards were sticking around for the last part of that race. Yeah, you mentioned Law & Order SVU. I think every year in October when the baseball playoffs are on yeah, what is it, TBS or TNT? You know, people always get mad that their Law & Order marathons interrupted <laughs> by baseball playoffs <laughs> in October. Is, seriously, all weekend, it just Law & Order. Yes. It's, it's well, insane. this is during the week usually, yeah. like weeknight games. But so it, I always find it entertaining when there's like a sports website that just aggregates a lot of angry tweets <laughs> about it. Anyway, time right. for random split air driver of the week. Who do we have this week? Well, we're going – to the Wayback Machine going to 2002 Indy Racing League. Who won the 2002 championship? Sam Hornish Jr. Correct. Of course, Elio Castroneves won the Indianapolis 500. But we're going to talk about Will Langhorn. Who? 
With Treadway Racing, Will Langhorn, three races during the 2002 season. He appeared at Kentucky, Chicago, and the second Texas race that year. Just three races, a top finish of 13th at Chicagoland. Was born in D.C. in 1974, was a race car driver sponsored by Porsche. That's fancy. Went through karting and skip barber. uh, Was the Barber Dodge Pro Series, drove in that, which was an open-wheel series, and then Atlantic's in 99 and 2000. I feel like he wrote this on Wikipedia. He reached his goal <laughs> of top-level open-wheel racing when he competed in the 2002 IRL season with three starts for Treadway Racing. Again, his best finish was in the Delphi Indy 300 at Chicagoland. Raced for, in Formula 3000 for 2003, in 2003, raced in Arca in 2004 and 05, and was in the Porsche Michelin Super Cup Series in 2006 that apparently tours with formula one but at um, least at the time yeah at the time so did not win a racing in the porsche super cup uh scanning it uh, didn't win a race in formula 3000 did five races there and in the arca series didn't do much there as well but again going back raced for treadway racing in 2002 drove the chevy indy v8 g-force chassis three races Top finish of 13th, was 18th at Kentucky, 23rd at the second Texas race that year. That was the season finale. I think it was the Expel, or no, now it's the Expel 375. But um, that was his worst finish of the season at 23rd. Finished 35th in points, just lurking there back in 35th through three races. Never appeared in a high-level, upper-level in uh, open-wheel series again. Mr. William Langhorn, this week's random split era driver of the week. And I do uh, want to add, he competed at Toledo Speedway in 2004 and 2005 in the ARCA Remax series. Nice. So not too far from our stomping grounds here. Absolutely. All right. So next week, we already teased it, but Rob Howden, our Road to Indy insider, he will join us. We'll recap uh, the goings on with the Road to Indy and in specific. You know, Indy Lights will be our primary focus with that. You know, what could be next for Linus Lundquist? Any other drivers with a possibility of advancing to IndyCar? We'll, we'll talk all about that. That is next week. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another episode of New Track Record Podcast. A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Podcasts by Federated Media.